When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Spears and to get someone aboard to talk about Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival at, at Kobe Kenan Hall, I decided to call someone back from excursion. You, you see, this is a lot like when Tozawa went abroad and then he had to go come back to get his visa kind of stamped again and renewed. And he just did like one random show with uh, where he was teaming with No Sawa. So I decided to bring on a uh, a co-host emeritus currently on expan- on excursion coming back for one show only case low case how's it going uh, it's going really well that was a deep cut reference that i totally forgot about um but i'm happy to be back on the show it's been probably almost two years since i've done a show 
uh, at least open the voice gate. So I'm happy to be back and talk about Kobe World and Dragon Gate in 2018. Yeah, it's great having you back. Of course, Case is still with Voices of Wrestling. He does almost all of the Dragon Gate reviews, if I'm right. And you and I usually do most of the big show previews as well. Am I? Is there anything else that you're doing on the site? Um, well, so I've been doing every Cork and Hall show and then the Dragon Gate five big pay-per-views. Uh, this is actually, it's my third year. I started in July 2015, so... Every Kobe world is kind of an anniversary for me with Voices of Wrestling. Um, at one point, I was doing New Japan on Access reviews. At one point, I was doing AAW reviews. But currently, I am just doing a monthly Dragon Gate show, and that is all I bring to the table. But this has been a real interesting time period for Dragon Gate, and we were talking a little bit on, on the pre-show about how things have been with Dragon Gate and 2018, and... We're going to get more deeper thoughts into it, but let's just start here with Kobe World. How were you feeling in the lead up to the show? Like, were you excited at all? Was there anything at, that was piquing your curiosity or were you just kind of buckled in as to see what the rest of 2018 was going to bring? I, I had such mixed feelings going into the show because I haven't. I, I don't want to say that I haven't enjoyed Dragon Gate in 18 months, but since the start of 2017, the company has changed a lot and we've seen it mold into something nearly unrecognizable. And there have been highs and lows in that. And, you know, there are some shows where the show ends and you, get, and you go, okay, Dragon Gate's back. This is great. I'm on board with this. And then it seems like that storyline or that wrestler, they lose momentum or that storyline is dropped. And you know, I'm left going, you know, what in the hell am I watching? Because this is not the Dragon Gate that I know. Um, and going into this Kobe world, I was really frustrated with the product. I didn't think the July Corkin was that good of a show. Um, it's hard to have a unit disbands match that isn't that interesting, but they figured out a way to do that. And I was down on a lot of these matches. You know, Mike and I and Taylor on Voices of Wrestling, we did a preview for the show and we decided to do a one to 10 excitement gimmick. And a lot of these matches, it was like, you know, a four or five or a six. I was like, yeah, this match is happening and it might be fine, but I'm not that into it. Um, and then I got home from work on Saturday and, you know, I wasn't going to watch the show live this year. It's the first time since 2014 that I haven't watched Kobe World live. Um, but there was a part of me that got really, really excited just sitting and thinking about how when I wake up, I'm going to have a Kobe world to watch because, you know, at the end of the day, Dragon Gate is my favorite thing in wrestling, even when it's not good. You know, there was just something I enjoy about hearing the music and seeing all these wrestlers that I've really come to love. And so I wasn't looking forward to Dragon Gate uh, when the card was announced. I actually thought it was a pretty weak card on paper, but as the show got closer and closer, I got really excited for the show and for the most part, I'm happy with what, you know, what the show was. You know, I pretty much co-sign almost to the letter, everything you said there. It's been a very up and down 2018 and the company wise, like business wise, it's been very, very shaky to downhill. And they announced this card really early, like, it was right after the cork and they had the full card out. And I remember looking at it and I was like, Oh God, this might be one of the worst Kobe worlds that they had. And as we were writing the review more and more, I was like looking at some of these matches and I was like, okay, this will be fine. This will be fine. I give this a two. I give this a five. I give this to six, but 
as far the further down I went down this car, the more and more excited I kind of got about it, especially with the with the last two matches and then three of the last four matches. I was I kind of amped myself up for it. And I have to say, at least overall, this was a show that it might not have had the peaks like the Twin Gate match from last year, but it did all the matches except for really one and the one that didn't really didn't. But all the matches were about the high end of my expectations for it. And one of them completely blew away my expectations. And I was pretty, I was, I came away from the show. I, I did the same thing as you. And, uh, unlike you were like, oh, I'm not going to st stay up. I'm just too old to stay up that late. Like I, uh, I like looked at the clock said, oh, the show will start at two. I'm going to fall asleep by like 11 o'clock. There's no way that's going to happen. So, but I, I woke up yesterday morning made myself a cup of tea and sat down and watched it. And it was a really enjoyable experience. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I've taken notice of just within our wrestling bubble is like when Ustream was a thing and the new Japan market and the Drangate market, you know, for Western fans was much smaller. You know, it seemed like staying up and watching some of these shows live was, I don't want to say it's the cool thing to do because it certainly isn't cool by society standards, but there was definitely this buzz of like, I can watch Japanese wrestling live and, you know, I've watched world 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, I stayed up and it was a big deal for me just because that's what I have fun doing. And now that we've got new Japan world, we've got all these shows and now you can watch all Japan and DDT and Dragon Gate live. I'm noticing less and less people staying up and enjoying these shows through the wee hours of the night and rather, and this is probably for the best for health reasons, but getting a good night's sleep and then watching the show with energy and wide awake the next morning. Oh, totally, dude. Like, I remember last year, I was, by the time of the main event, when that when it was the, the Yamato T-Hawk match, I was just pretty much just hating on everything. I was just sour and just better about everything. But this time, I watched it, and this was a shorter show than last year. Like, that should be mentioned. But it was, I had so much more enthusiasm, but it does seem like that, I don't know if it's the proliferation of all the different, uh, all the different streaming services that everyone now has a piece of the pie. And that means that everyone else's piece gets smaller and smaller, but it really does seem that Western interest in the product is probably at an all time low. I would say the only period that I would kind of compare this to would be the, uh, period right after uh, DG USA shut down. And I feel like that in the post uh, Junction 3 and Blood Warriors kind of time when you had like a Kotsky just being really useless and Mad Blanky didn't really become the unit that it would become. Like this is like, at least from my own experience, like this is kind of near that levels of lack of interest. And that would have been just a little bit before my time, but I can kind of speak to that in the sense that when I became a Dragon Gate fan, you know, that was only a year or two in the past. And that was still at a point where, you know, somebody was downloading the shows and then putting them on daily motion or open the dragongate.com, which was a thing. Um, that website was, ruled, by the way. That website was so awesome. And I'm so disappointed it's no longer a thing. Um, but there's not a lot of 2012 footage out there from that time period. I mean, we've hunted down the Mad Blanky. Akatsuki uh, losing unit disbands match for years now, and nobody seems to have it. Um, but this is definitely 
you know, there, there were five or six people in our bubble talking about the show yesterday. I mean, Dragon Gate is not a big deal to Western audiences right now, but I don't, I don't blame the Western audience. I mean, I can't no. recommend somebody to Dragon Gate and say, look at all these high flyers they have and look at all these great stories they tell because New Japan has a, has a better juniors roster than Dragon Gate has a roster. Uh, not All Japan. I'm not going to listen to an All Japan juniors argument. But even from a storytelling perspective, which is something that, you know, in 2014 and 15 and for a little bit of 16, you know, I could tell somebody you might not like the in-ring product, but you really have to appreciate the stories they're telling. We're not even mm-hmm. getting that anymore. So I can't recommend somebody spend $15 a month on the Dragon Gate Network, which is hard to use anyways, to watch a product that as it's it's its lowest quality that it's been maybe ever. It's... It's one of the periods that like I somewhat racked my head trying to think of time bad years and really the time period that this kind of reminds me of and it's not a good thing because this was a very bad time for the company and interestingly enough this there is someone that wasn't around that time either and the doy reign of 2008 and 2009 is what this kind of reminds me of and the person I'm referring to is that was when Shima had his broken neck. So it's entering stuff. There, there is some good stuff, and I don't want to sound like that we're completely just just bombing the promotion when they I think they put out for their circumstances one of the best cards they could. But it's just really hard. I've had more people over the last week ask me, "Is Dragon Gate Network worth it?" And that's always kind of a hard conversation because it kind of comes down to, well, how busy are you in a on a, on a given week? <laughs> Because if not, you know, just pay the nine bucks and watch everything a month later because it's just counterproductive as all get out. And storyline wise, it's just it, for me in 2018 and late 2017, we just had these long, useless storylines. And that really kind of grind me down. We had one of them here with the Dragon and Ada storyline, which, dear God, I thought it was over at at Corkin and now it might still be going on and then we had Rio Saito and Shingo for almost all of the year up until dead or alive and dating back to November so it's it's been a really kind of tough time there's been some good stuff in throughout the Mochizuki reign was in general wasn't was a great reign and a lot of a lot of the younger guys you needed to step up stepped up and it's interesting now with Yoshino now back at back at the helm but it's just tough i think that's what kind of boils down to but it's just it's an odd time to be a fan and before we break down the show i'll just add this and i say this Mm -hmm. without any hyperbole the shingo takagi ryo saito feud made me want to stop reviewing dragon gate and those are two wrestlers that i really like and i hated that feud i hated every time they were in the ring together and Again, it, I mean, it made me want to DM Rich and be like, I'm done. I've done three years of this, and Shingo versus Saito has broken me. But then again, you had things like the Mochizuki reign, which were great. I mean, Mochizuki versus Ben K from Champion Gate is will be in my top 10 this year. That was one of the best matches of the entire year, but it's just been bogged down by injuries and by bad storylines and by some disappointing matches. Yeah, and... It's interesting now that we're away from the Mochizuki reign. The thing I like about that reign is that I think everyone can pick a different match and have a different reason why it's their favorite of that reign. You could talk about Susumu. You could talk about you could talk about KZ. You could talk about like how you did with Ben K. 
and just like each match was different in, in its own way. But now it's in, in some way it's it feels like a blank slate for them to kind of rebuild. And Yoshino is the guy to rebuild around. But it's that Syria feud and Shingo that was just straight garbage. It was it was up there with uh, with them uh, the metabolic brothers as just a terrible feud. It just was garbage, straight garbage. But what wasn't garbage, and how is that for segue, was Kobe World, Kenan, the Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival at uh, Kobe World Ken Hall. Before we get going, the attendance was 49.52. And just in case if people are saying, oh, Dragon Gate inflates numbers, that's not the case anymore. It was a shoot 49.52. I've talked to people in the company. It, big shows, they're going actual numbers. And for the uh, house shows, there might be a little bit of eking, but not on big shows anymore. And uh, Case, did it feel as empty as the attendance led us to believe? Uh, yes, completely. And, you know, Dragon Gate has a reputation for inflating numbers, especially for Kobe World in the past. But unless somebody, you know, wants to talk to me and say otherwise, I, be- I fully believe that there have been years where they've put seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 people in this building this felt like 4,900. The crowd reactions, especially during the international six-man with Flamita and Bandito and Naruki Doi in that match, it was silent in the building. And that was an exciting mm-hmm. match with a lot of high spots, and there was no noise at all. So it looked like 4,900. It sounded like 4,900. But on the bright side, I'm happy that we're getting some of these real numbers now for the big shows. Yeah, and it's also been reported and this was from uh the the new president of dragon gate toro kiddo that this was actually the most uh profitable kobe world which had a lot of people kind of scratch their heads but again talk to someone it there is more sponsorship especially if you looked on the ring aprons this year and the new ring mat and one thing about president okamura was he liked to use uh kobe world as kind of a uh networking event so there were hundreds and if not thousands of free tickets given out for kobe world in the past and that's not the case anymore it was 49.52 paid so it even though this was a very down attendance wise it turned out to be incredible incredibly profitable show and just starting off the the card starting from the bottom i think we both missed this match but the pre-show was uh Yuki Yoshioka filling in for Oji Shiba, who I think it was an ankle injury or something along the same lines of that, but he was pulled from the card and and it was against the uh, current low man on the roster, Kota Minenura. And what are your opinions of Minenura so far? He's only been uh, on, I believe, Corkin and then a couple of the uh, the next tapings, if I'm right. Yes, that's correct. Um, he debuted at this most recent Corkin. And I thought he looked good. I was actually, I was looking forward to watching this dark match, this match zero, uh, because in his, in his debut, he wrestled against Masato Yoshino, Ben K and Jason Lee. And those guys are all uh, at different points in their career. They all wrestle different styles. I thought Code Minora looked good against all of them. Uh, but unfortunately we didn't see this OG Shiba. It was a lower back injury that he was oh, out that's with. That's a bad one. Yes, um, and he suffered for it. Or he suffered it while competing in Osaka Pro, which is, which is a bummer. You know, he can't even get hurt on Drangate soil, which is just kind of the bad luck that Drangate has had with injuries. And it's not head drops. It's not you know going through tables. It's just these little things, these nagging injuries that seem to get the Drangate guys, at least this generation, 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we didn't see this match, and it's a shame. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting that they kind of just plugged in Yoshioka there. Usually, they would just add someone to it, or they would pull like Sachi Hoko Boy there. But this was the first time, at least schedule-wise, other than the uh, Triangle Gate tournament last year, that we got to see someone pull double duty on the card because the actual opener of the show was the uh, was a giant ten man get everyone on the car, everyone on the roster on the card with Kaido Shida, UT Shun Skywalker. Kyo Watanabe, Yuki Yoshioka versus Gamma Kness, Brother Yashi, Mondai Ryu, and Sachioko Boy. Shun Skywalker got the win in six minutes over Sachioko Boy with his moonsault. And just leading off, Skywalker has done a lot to change his look over the last month or so. Yeah, he, well, this stuck out to me as he looks like he's wearing Dragon Kid's Typhoon gear. Mm-hmm. Um, like 2007, 2008 era Dragon Kid. Maybe the pants are a little tighter, but he's kind of got that look to him. Um, it's not, it's not where I'd like it to be, but it's a major improvement over the feathers and the tassels and whatever else Shun Skywalker had for the beginning of his career. Yeah, and also he got rid of his really bad shirt and skirt they had on, and. He's got himself into good shape. I know that he was supposed to team up with Mochizuki in All Japan for a tournament. I don't know if that's happened yet. I don't follow All Japan. But he's at least like trying to cement himself over this year. And that's something I could say is that Shun Skywalker, and this happened in this match, I felt like that he was the star of this match. And he's put himself together probably the most improved in 2018 in Dragon Gate, at least in my opinion. Yeah, he's clearly the rookie from his generation that's going to be the big standout. Um, I guess if you don't count Ben K, but Ben K is a prodigy and it was older than Skywalker, the Watanabes. Um, so I don't necessarily count Ben K in that, but it's clear they're at least to some extent behind Shun Skywalker. Um, his offense is still a little basic, but he looks good doing what he's doing. His matches are actually, they're kind of structured like uh, they were for Peter Casa when Peter Casa did their tours where they know Skywalker can't do a lot, but he can do some big dives that look really, really good. And it was a similar thing with Casa, um, which is one thing that Dragon Gate has always been able to do, which is to lay out matches so the wrestlers look as good as they possibly can. Um, the opposing side of this, I mean, Sachi Hoko Boy, Gamma, Kanes, Brother Yashi, I don't love that Brother Yashi's back, even if he's found the perfect fit with natural vibes. Gama's never done anything for me. Sachi Hoko Boy is just who he is. And I, I was a little disappointed to see Kness in this opener just because he's been really good this year. At least I think he has been. Um, but this was all about Skywalker. This was putting Shun Skywalker in front of 5,000 people and saying, go out and get over. Yeah, and I really feel like that there's now a level of stratification in his class that it's Skywalker and then Watanabe and uh, and Yoshioka. I mean, as much as I like Watanabe, he's just not progressed. And it's kind of disappointing. Yoshioka was injured for so long and now that's back and he's okay. I, I feel like saying like he he's all right. And I like what I saw of OG before he got hurt, but it's really seems like that out of this class now, since Takashima, I think, I've never, I've not heard a word, word about Katsumi Takashima in about a year and a half now. So, well, and he hasn't, he hasn't wrestled since August of last year because I, 
I was thinking about the rookies in this class and where they were, and I'm going, where where the hell has Takashima been? And well, mm-hmm. as far as I know, he's been hurt, but he's been hurt for 11 months now. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't heard anything about him in the dojo. You don't see photos of him anywhere, so, you know, he was someone who had health issues coming in. But yeah, Shun Skywalker, this really was the Skywalker show. I... For a 10-person opener that was given six minutes, I thought it was a fun match. You know, it was the Skywalker show. There was some good moments. I I do find it interesting now that given how much older they are, especially UT, UT has been around now since 2013, they're still kind of lumped together at this lo- at this point when you see people like Ben K, when you see people like Shimizu who were in the semi-main event. And it's just kind of sad for UT. He had so much injury issues, and Ishida had them as well, but they're kind of at this opener at, at Kobe World level. So, Well, yeah, I mean, I was cold on UT up until probably eight months ago. I mean, the last time I was on the show or in that era, I mean, I was arguing with Milo over whether or not UT was any good. I didn't see anything in UT for the longest time. And now he's come back in this stretch of his career. I've been super, super entertained by. I think he's really put it all together. But if I was in Dragon Gate shoes, how could I ever even give him a Brave Gate match? I mean, he can't stay healthy. He's so small. And that's just the cards he's been dealt. It's a shame because he's really turned into a nice wrestler that is able to do what he does very, very well. Yeah. And the other thing that really hurts him and it's interesting that he's with someone on the team that's the same size as him is UT is one of the smallest people to come through in Dragon System history. I think that basically Sugi was the only person who was much smaller. Maybe the, uh, maybe, uh, maybe the former uh, speed of sound guys as well, but uh, he is incredibly small and he's just so fragile that like, I know that we might be coming up on summer adventure tag league time and you, and this would be the perfect time for him to go into it, and you just can't trust it. You know, it's just, it's sad. It's sad because he really, I, I'm with you. He is someone that, since he's come back this time, he's really put it together. Uh, the next match was, yeah. oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and Kaito Ishida, I mean, yeah, he's fallen off a cliff. And, and it's funny because you look back at, like, December 2016, there was the five-on-five Legends vs. Rookies Cork and Hall match where you had Ben K and the Watanabes and Skywalker and uh, Yoshioka, and you're like, oh, the future of Gate is right here, and all of these guys are going to be the Shingos and the BB Hulks and the Yamatos, and then Yoshino gets hurt, so the next month, they make Takahiro Yamamura star. I mean, he has that Cork and Hall match with Big R Shimizu, and then he comes out in the main event and tries to save the day. And Yamamura's gone. Shima's gone. Uh, Ishida was hurt. Watanabe hasn't progressed. Takashima's hurt. Yoshioka hasn't progressed. And Shun Skywalker, he's progressed, but he's still working the opener. And it's just funny to see in 18 months just the hope sort of slip away from Dragon Gate's fans. Yeah, and it's interesting because that Corkin match was one of my favorite Dragon Gate matches in years, just because of the storyline-wise, and just, I like seeing some hate in the ring, especially when you get, like, Mochizuki mad and Fuji mad. Whenever Fuji gets, like, legitimately mad, it's great, but... It's it's one of my favorite Dragon Gate matches ever. I mean, you cannot watch that match and tell me that those guys aren't going to be stars. I mean, that match mm-hmm. was something else when it happened because there was really, 
I don't know if there's ever been a match quite like that in wrestling where you've seen five such established talents take on five rookies. I mean, these were guys that had barely made TV before, and they mm-hmm. just had this match at Cork, and that just felt different. And at that point, December 2016, I'm thinking, well, you know, Shima's going to be a Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer, and he's going to be in the company forever. And now you've got these five young guys that are going to take, you know, take Shingo and, and Hulk spot, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, it's just, it, and I feel like that we point that out as, I guess, uh, issue number one on Dragon Gate in 2018 is the young guys have not progressed out of opening matches. I feel like that we can go through this card and start like noting like issues we've having with the, with the promotion this year. And that's number one, I feel like, at least on our list, not like number one overall, but the first one we can kind of start talking about. And that... After that opener, it had a, uh, there was a, I don't even know if I could really even call this a match in the most like generous sense, but uh, Rio Saito beat uh, Hollywood Soccer Ichikawa in 10 minutes and 17 seconds with a schoolboy and case. For a Dragon Gate comedy match, that's up there as one of the most bizarre Dragon Gate comedy matches I've seen. Yeah, I I kind of expand on this in my written review, which by the time you're listening to this will be up on Voices of Wrestling. But maybe part of this got lost in translation for me because uh, Choi Hong Man was sitting in the front row. And for those that don't know, he's a seven foot three giant who once fought Fedor Emelianenko. Um, and so they did spots revolving around him, but they were cutting promos with each other and I obviously don't speak the language and I didn't know who that was until I Googled it. Um, this, this sucked. I just, th- I normally enjoy Ichikawa, but I just hated all 10 minutes of this. Yeah. It, this was all built on Choi, just like interacting with Choi. There was like a two minute period where the usual spot where stalker walks on the, does the prayer walk on the rope and then eventually crotches himself that went on for <clears throat> that went on for a while, a while. Probably my favorite person in the match was Yagi. I mean, Yagi, but like the spots that he was involved in the comedy match was great. But it was ten minutes. I I don't rate comedy matches. I don't bother with that. But it was just was bizarre, and they were very. They, I I very, it was very indicative that when they were outside the ring, they made sure that Rio Saito, who's probably about five eight five nine, they made sure he took a knee, so he only came up. Probably like mid waist onto onto Choi as he threw him around. It just was weird. It just was really weird. Yeah, not enjoyable at all. Yeah. So if I I did remember Choi from K One and Pride, which probably me being old, I was like, oh yeah, he fought Krokop and got destroyed. So it it was something that like even for Dragon Gate, it was kind of weird that they do these kind of celebrity things, but. The next match, which had an outsider of its own, but ended up, in my books, just kind of exceeding the expectations I had, which is a big storyline of the show, was the uh, Triangle Gate match with the uh, with the champions KZ, Susumu Yokosuka, Ginky Horiguchi retaining over the Antios trio of Yuzushi Kanda, Tak- Takashi Yoshida, and the new assistant and representing Zero One, Masato Tanaka. It was... KZ in 15 minutes and nine seconds with the sky to schoolboy. And I felt like this kind of was as good as I thought it could be. It exceeded expectations in that well. And that realm I had like at three and a quarter. What did you think about it, 
case. Oh, I I guess I liked it much more than you did. Um, I had no doubt that Masato Tanaka could hang with the Dragon Gate guys, especially Keizi Yokosuka and Horiguchi, because I think the latter two are guys that can work a stiffer, not a zero one style, but Tanaka and those two can kind of meet in the middle, which they did. Um, I gave this match four stars. I loved it. Um, KZ is really, really good. And, you know, I, I talked about this in my, in my rainbow gate review, the July Corkin show of the idea of yes, over generation is useless and nobody really likes them, but in life you must choose between suffering and boredom. And I've been suffering with these NTS main events for, three years now i mean if you know there's no difference between them and Verzerk. it's a different name it's a different t-shirt but it's the same idea and i knew over generation would lose but i was kind of disappointed when they did just because having the big heel unit break up would have at least been exciting i would have you know been really into that but adding tanaka you know made me take a deep breath and go okay logistically this doesn't make a lot of sense i mean this match went third on the card because masato tanaka had to make the zero one show later that day but as a, as a standalone match this match ruled i mean tanaka was really really good against casey and yokosuka it makes me want to see yokosuka and tanaka have a singles match oh, and, totally. I'll, and, and i'll say this and it's gonna plant the idea in some listeners heads that they're gonna hate me when it doesn't happen but for as long as Tanaka is wrestling in Dragon Gate, I don't know if he's booked after this or not, but if he sticks around, at some point you have to do Shingo and Masato Tanaka versus Speed Muscle. I mean, that to me seems like the obvious match to do. I don't think it'll happen, but my fingers are secretly crossed that that will. Yeah, uh, I I love Tanaka in this match. It, I was really excited about seeing him versus someone who's such a great pure baby face like KZ and it's been a while since they've had a baby face that the crowd actually likes them kind of purely like it, it's not like, like how uh like with Yoshino and Doi there's still a little bit of an edge about them because they were heels for so long with uh blood generation and muscle outlaws and it's and Hulk the crowd never has cared about like as like a oh hey we like this guy because he's a good person or whatever but just seeing like the the uh the elbow exchanges and the uppercuts between those two was tremendous. I think that a natural vibes. The one thing that kind of annoyed me about this match was I saw on Twitter that they were selling those glow sticks that they had with them. And I could tell that they were trying to do like a glow stick show where like the crowd was supposed to like wave around, but there was like, what, like 20 people of glow sticks in the crowd. Was it? it yeah, no. Maybe. Maybe if you're going to try to do that, give them the glow sticks. Okay. Let the crowd kind of do this. Like idle performances of glow sticks are a huge thing in Japan. So just let them like, like you've been trying to get the dance over for a while. If you had like the glow stick show, the crowd will get more into it, but that's just a random aside. Uh, I was really actually impressed with Yoshida in this match. I came in expecting Tanaka to pair up well with everyone. Kanda is who he is. Like it's, He's, he's who he is right now in his career. So expecting more out of him, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. But Yoshida really kind of bounced around and threw himself around. And I was really kind of impressed with him. I feel like he was, in a lot of ways, kind of the unsung hero of this match. Like, he was the one really working most of the match. And that's usually something I'm scared about in a Cyber Kong match. But I thought it came off pretty well. What did you think of Yoshida in this? 
ever since the mask has come off, I've really enjoyed Yoshida, which makes me believe that maybe he just literally couldn't see in the Cyber Kong mask because he he shit the bed a lot of Cyber Kong. I mean, he has notoriously bad matches that have set his career back permanently. But yeah, I mean, Yoshida was very good in this, you know, as good as he can be. He's still going to be a lower rung worker, you know, because Dragon Gate has such a high work rate standard. But yeah, he was good in this and he's been good again since he took the mask off. There's never been a time where like, oh, what's what's Yoshida going to do? Is he going to drop somebody on his head today? What spots he going to blow? He's become a pretty good wrestler. Yeah, and he's kind of just given up all the Cyber Kong kind of mannerisms. He still has like the like the pineapple bomber and all of that, but he's just kind of this big guy who just clobbers people and it works for him, especially in triangle or like eight man or matches like that, where he can come in for two or three minutes, hit all the shit, get back out, then come back in. And he doesn't have to work like the horrible matches he had with Hulk. So yeah, I, I was really, it was, this is the match. I was like, Oh, Yoshida, who's been, you know, one of the more maligned people on the roster. He, he, it wasn't just him coming in for charges. Like he threw himself around. Like there were moments that I was like, Oh wow. Okay. He's actually bumping his ass off, which is something you don't usually see from him, but uh, well, oh, go y- ahead. Yoshida, Yoshida has to get away from Kanda because Mm-hmm. Yosushi Kanda, look, he's he's a legend in the company. I get that he's respected. I get that at points he's had very good matches, but there was not a least uh, a less interesting member of the roster than there is Yosushi Kanda. Um, Takashi Yoshida has to be the the weakest worker in a trio if that trio is going to be really really good. But Kanda has slotted himself beneath Yoshida, and it just those two together it just looks so bad on paper because you know you're not going to get anything really, really great. Kanda, I don't I don't know what he needs to do. I, I would like him to just go away, but I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, a Yoshida, Eita, Shingo team, that sounds so much better. Or Shingo, Tanaka, Yoshida. It's just Yoshida and Kanda together just doesn't ever look good and doesn't ever sound appealing. Yeah, and I was really disappointed with him when he came like i i've known that kanda is who he is for a while now but i was really enticed by the idea of after the gym he turned heel and the idea that okay he joined berserk at that time and kanda is known as like the guy who brought about the box attack he was the original bad guy in dragon gate even before like mochizuki kind of aligned with him and when susumu kind of was along with the right but it was always kanda was the rudo out of that and Maybe I was expecting a little bit more of that style thing that I was being foolish that that was him 20 years ago, I guess. But yeah, it, it, it also kind of further illustrates another bad problem with Dragon Gate this year is Antios, like they needed to have Tanaka because a unit with Shingo, Ada, Takashi, Yoshida, and Yuzushi Kanda is garbage, to be frank. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, you uh, Kanda joined the heel union. You think this is where he's made his name. This is where he's really going to fit. And from the start, it was just so boring. And it's like he almost—it's like nothing changed. Him joining the unit did nothing. It didn't increase his motivation. It didn't change the unit at all. And then you know, if we want to talk about the problems Drangate has had, it took months and months and months for any other Jimmy to join another unit, which drove me crazy. Um, 
but Kondo was just in the heel unit and it was just kind of there and there was nothing to really grasp onto or to attach yourself to. And yeah, I mean, Antios as a heel unit is just, we've seen it. I mean, remember when Verzork first formed and Shingo was knocking out all the legends and Ata was in the unit and then he got kicked out and I thought that story was really cool. And for a while it was like, oh, and then you had Yamato and Doi as the best tag, tag team maybe in Dragon Gate history. There was all this excitement but that was two or three years ago now. And we've just seen this and we've seen the colors and we've seen the guys and it's just, I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. And I feel like that those are two, you two separate problems. The dragon gate is that they did not, they net, it took them until dead or alive to place majority of the Jimmy's like that was ridiculous. That's almost nine months. And it made the roster feel very stale. And for a long time viewers, you, when you see shakeups, you anticipate, okay, maybe there's a month. Like there was a month between Mad Blanky and Berserk that everyone was like saying, oh, we're seeing kind of like the winds of change. We're seeing all this form. We saw Katoka and uh, and Ada kind of like a line of them. So you're like, okay, so you get these guys there and there was nothing. And that was incredibly frustrating. And then Antios and Berserk, Milo and I have discuss our frustrations with this unit a lot over the last two years and it's the it's samey it's that the, they kind of tried with young antios and that's its own unique its own unique problem but there's just nothing to the unit that differentiates it because when you think about early berserk we, you think about exactly of what you said case you had shingo destroying through everyone you had katoka and i was mental break you had uh you had Yamadoi, who I'll say best tag team in Dragon Gate history. And then it, you had that for that. So you had you had a great idol. You had a great like image there for how that unit should be. Mad Blanky, by the time it was Doi and Yamato, had its own image. Blood Warriors had its own image. Fazark and Antios just kind of bleed into this red and yellow mess. And it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And then, you know... All right, if you're ready to move on, I'm sure we've got some feelings about the yeah. Blade Gate match too. Yeah, 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 which we'll get into another annoying thing there. Sorry, I was, I didn't know if you had anything else to add. And no, uh, that was it for me. I, you know, I've, yeah. I've said my piece on the heel unit. <laughs> All right, so another, and the next title match was the Brave Gate match. As Case mentioned, it was Ada winning the belt. It's his second true reign over Dragon Kid in 17 minutes and 36 seconds with the Salamander. Uh, prawn hold off the ropes it drank it fails in a second defense i couldn't care less about this match it was it was an okay match but i couldn't care uh case of the feeling that you're going to echo those sentiments yeah i mean i have trouble even saying that this was an okay match because you think about this drinkin and ha story that has gone back to you know what 2016 when they were teaming and they were in the summer adventure tag league I mean, mm -hmm. this is a long-term story that Dragon Gate has told, but it's never really been that interesting. I mean, I've, I, I love Dragon Kid. I, I like Ada a lot. These two together, it's kind of like Shingo and Saito, where they just don't work with me for whatever reason. And, you know, when they had the, the unit disbands match at the Corkin show, Ata pins Dragon Kid, ends over a generation. I'm thinking like, oh, great. This is the end of this story you know, Ata's killed the unit that, that, you know, brought him to prominence. This is great. And then they announced the Brave Gate match at Kobe World. I'm like, 
okay, I'm not looking forward to this, but it makes sense. Ata can win. He can have a defiant win and he could put this feud to bed. And then they had this match that was, it was so boring and so, I don't know if mellow is the right word, but you'd think for this two and a half year feud that's been, you know, fueled by hatred and jealousy and wanting to one up the other, they just kind of had a match. And not that I was expecting like LA Park Rush, but I wanted hatred and, you know, a mass gripping equivalent or mass gripping or something just to latch onto. And they just had a match no different than Kagatora versus Flamita from last year. I mean, it was worked with the same intensity and the same menace. And to me, that just didn't make any sense. And then on top of that, Ata wins, yes, with a salamander. But right before that, there was a chair shot that just came out of the blue. I didn't understand why there was a chair shot there. And then after the match, he pulls off Dragon Kid's mask and now they've got to have a hair versus mask match. I don't know if that's confirmed, but you would almost, I mean, you have to think that that's what they're doing. And if they end up doing a hair versus mask match, I'll be especially frustrated because this could have been what you set up at the July cork and you could have had Ata defeat over generation, rip the mask off. And then now, and you know, the Kobe world tickets weren't doing very well in the first place. Now you can do a mask versus hair match at Kobe world. And, you know, maybe Dragon Kid wins them. But I don't think Dragon Kid's losing his mask. I think if they do that, Dragon Kid is going to get his belt back. So this feud, I'm just sick of. I'm ready for it to end. And this match wasn't very good. So I there is nothing really positive to say about this. Yeah, it, I completely co-sign with you. I would have loved some mask rips. If this was, if that's where they're going to go. Like, even started at Corkin. Like, have him rip the mask or have him like yank the mask and then do a quick hold like flash pen hold and get the pen that way to eliminate the unit that would have been a better way to build up this match uh dragon kid i feel like and this might just be a personal thing to me it feels like that dragon kids either his knee is still acting up and he felt like that he needed to power through this because of ticket sales but he felt like a step slow to me did it feel that way to you at all I have a tough time judging just because it's Kobe world. And like we saw in like, if you go back to Kobe world, 2014 dragon kid was relatively healthy at the time. And he wrestled Flamita for the brave gate and they worked a slower, more methodical match that had specific points to get Flamita over and for him to kick out of certain things. Right. I don't know if it's a, if dragon kid is a step slower or if, because this is the big show and it's kind of like what we see in some dream gate matches where they're focused on making it an epic. And so they slow it down a little bit and they put bigger emphasis on certain things. So I might watch this match again, just to look at that, but I kind of took it as, Oh, dragon kids working his Kobe world style. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I, I feel like there's some time to kind of get out some truths about Ada issue number four, but for me and dragon gate in 2018, he has not looked like he's cared at all even dating back to when they teamed together. You know, it just seems like, oh, wait, maybe he'll be excited because he left over generation. Nope. Maybe he'll be excited because he's teaming with T-Hawk again, and that tag team was great. Nope, that completely kind of ruined my image of how TNE was. Oh, now he's alone here because T-Hawk and Lindemann now have gone to China. Maybe now Ada will care. Nope. And... I hate writing someone off, especially someone as young, but I'm kind of just done with Ada at this point. Yeah. Do you feel similar? I, 
I still he he's he's so good, and we just passed the two year anniversary of the ill fated 2016 Super J Cup, and I mean that match that he had with Jushin Thunder Liger and Cork and Hall. I mean people. You know, Western fans, I don't know what the Japanese audience was like, but Western fans were like, well, I mean, Drangate has to push him to the main event now. I mean, look at this match he just had with Liger. I mean, this was something to behold. And it's just he's never hit that level. I think he's never met people's very lofty expectations, which is partially his fault and partially not. I mean, he's always been a blue chip prospect, and maybe he's just not a blue chipper. Um, and now, especially with Shima taking Al Lindemann, who you could argue is in his peer group, um, you know, maybe he's a little younger, and T-Hawk, who has been side-by-side with Ata since the start of their career, Shima taking those two and saying, you're coming with me, we're going to do something new and cool and fresh, it's hard for me to want a motivated, or it's hard for me to expect a motivated Ata. I mean, that's just not how humans work. You'd think that would maybe fire fire him up more, but we've seen just the progression of his career and how little he's progressed at times and taking his number two and sticking him in a newer, fresher environment. It's, it's hard for me to expect Ada to care at this point. My expectations have been lowered drastically, but I know he can still deliver and that's the frustrating part. Yeah. I, I I agree with what you're saying there, especially with 2016 because he, he has that super J cup match, which, Let's be honest, he should have, like, this is me from a Dragon Gate standpoint, they should have had him go all the way to face Kushida in that tournament. That was... It would have been incredible. I mean, that was, to to us, so obviously the move. Yeah, but he then followed it up there with a really great King of Gate tournament. He had that incredible match of Susumu where he broke out the apocalypse, and it really seemed like that was a time that he was going to finally put all all the cards were coming into his hand. He finally had something to play. He finally was able to say... This is who I am as a wrestler. This is this is what the top flight Ada is, and he it seems like he reaches that point and he drops off because he dropped off pretty soon after that. And then now we see like they brought him back with TNE, and I completely agree with you with that with the whole thing with OWE, especially when you think about the people that Shima took over. Uh, Yamamura openly has talked about how he views uh, Shima as his second dad. T-Hawk and Shima have been close forever. And Lindemann, it's it, Lindemann's taken over when Lindemann more is just known as his relationship with Shima is like, oh, he's the only young guy who can get into a mic battle with him. Lindemann probably took a spot. If you really want to like just be a conspiracy theorist and who's to say what led that to happen. And I totally get what you're saying about expecting him to be motivated now is very hard. So I guess this is the ADA we have now in 2018, which further hurts Antios. Well, it's funny that you say that, that Lindemann might've taken a spot because you can look at the history and you could say Ada could have gone in any of those spots. If Ada could talk, he could have had Lindemann's spot. If Ada wanted to step up to the plate when Yoshino was hurt and that people thought Masato Yoshino might not ever wrestle again and the company's stars were down and there was worry about Dragon Gate, Ada could have stepped up, but Yamamura did instead. Yamamura stepped up to the plate. He'd become a, a main event level guy in a, the snap of a finger. Ada was just doing Ada's thing. Ata and T-Hawk, that's the story right there. Which of them is the better guy? And T-Hawk, you know, he's, yeah, T-Hawk has his issues. He has his drawing issues. 
but T-Hawks worked harder. You can see a future in T-Hawk, whereas people just want a future in Ada. He could have had any of those spots, and he just didn't get there. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really frustrates me about the OWE move is we never really had the T-Hawk versus Ada match. You know, like, yeah. well, like two guys who are as synonymous with each other and should have been built up as the, their generation's version of Shingo and Hulk never happened. And it's probably never going to happen. And that really frustrates me to no end, to be honest. But uh, the, the one thing that I felt like was kind of interesting about this match is Dragon Kid came out in an all red costume and he doesn't differentiate from the green and gold very often. And it almost makes my frustration with this match even worse because it's like, okay, when you think about like Dragon Kid's big matches, you think about, oh, he wore all white against Darkness Dragon. And you think about moments like this that they, they invoke these times and you have a match that I terribly gave three stars to. And I'm just like, oh, nice money you spent there, Dragon Kid. You, at least you had your heart in the right place. But uh, do you have any other thoughts about this match? No, this was this was pitiful. I mean, I didn't like it when I watched it, and now I'm all fired up about Ata because it's just he he could have been with Shima right now. He had mm-hmm. three. There there are three spots there that if if Ata was who we wanted him to be, he's in one of those spots, and he's not, and it's a shame because we've seen what he can do, and I just you know you'd hate to think that Ata's going to wrestle for another ten to fifteen years. And we've seen his peak in King of Gate 2016 in that one match with Liger. You'd hate for that to be his peak, but I'm afraid that's what we might be looking at. Yeah, and the T and, and the T and E reign, which was incredibly underwhelming, which almost makes you forget how great the uh, tag match that they had at World, where they won the Twin Gates from from uh, Shingo and Tazawa was. You know, we will be just... talking about that match later, my friend. I've got that in my notes. <laughs> All right, good, good, but. We're kind of through the part of the card where I was that I feel like we're down about, but now let's get to a match that I thought ruled. It was the international six-man tag team match. Kagatori, Yosuke Santa Maria, and Flamita, the Tri Vanguard team, defeated Naruki Doi, Jason Lee of Maximum, and Bandito. Uh Flamita got the pen over his Mexa Blood teammate, uh Bandito, in 15 minutes and 56 seconds with the uh with the Phoenix Splash, and I love this match. Case, how did you feel about it? This match was great. Um, I said in the preview that it it has a chance to be the match of the night. Um, with the way the card shaped out, I would say it's either number two or number three. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'll give it number two, but I'm really splitting hairs between that and one other match. But yeah, I mean, this match was great, and it's it's hard to for these six to not have a great match i mean you just look at the talent that's involved and it's it's almost four stars on paper i gave it three and three quarters um i really enjoyed it one thing that that really hit me while watching this match um flamita has put on a ton of weight and muscle he's changed his gear he's wearing a singlet now and can you believe that flamita has been in dragon gate for six years now you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that also makes me think, oh, wait, Millennial started six years ago. <laughs> Isn't it well, just we- insane? And, and here's the thing. He's only 25 now. Yeah. He was, the, he was I, 19. 
He was 19. And you think about, it, I mean, he started, he was with Rocky Lobo on his first tour. And then he brought in Drastic Boy. And now he's with Bandito. And, you know, the, the character progression is almost non-existent. But Flamita has just done little things, you know, putting on this weight, uh, you know, having Bandito there instead of Drastic Boy. It's just, he's doing these little things to keep fresh but it's also been four years since his match with Jimmy Susumu that really put him on the map. I mean, that was, that was a half decade ago. Almost he's been in this company for so long and you almost want to see like, like where it's, is his peak, just that brave gate run. Can he get it? Will he be around long enough to get a twin gate run? I don't think he's a dream gate, you know, champion in the future, but I'd love to see him challenge for the dream gate just once. But that really hit me watching this match. Like we have seen Flamita grow up from a 19 year old into this man that's put on muscle and wears a singlet now. And it was nicely nostalgic watching him work this match. You know what? You know what other way he's changed as well, Case? He did not challenge Dragon Kid for a Brave Gate title because he never lost the belt. He has matured a little bit too. That's true. He he never lost the Brave Gate title. What was it? It was a Final Gate 2014 punch beat him by DQ or something, and then he vanished. That's that was the story, right? Yeah, he vanished, and then each time he's come back, like he was originally going to do AAA, he was supposed to be the new Octagon. That completely <laughs> that did not out. work out. <laughs> that that did not work out. He uh, was on Lucha Underground for I think two matches and disappeared. Yes. And then each time between he come back to Dragon Gate and get a Brave Gate challenge, and it was incredibly frustrating because. It's just like, oh, we're going back to Flamita. This match will be good, but he doesn't have a reason for this match other than he never lost the belt. So I, I that was just more just like a, a a joke there I was throwing out there. But yeah, he definitely bulked up. Uh, Bandito was bulked up since he was in Dragon Gate in January as well. I noticed that like he's now looking like he has put on some masks and it was really fun seeing these two in this match. I I'm someone that I'm so busy now that I've really cut back what I watched to basically Dragon Gate. I've seen three New Japan matches since since Wrestle Kingdom. And then if there's a big indie card or lucha show, I'll watch that. But seeing Bandita, Bandito and Dragon Gate is always great. Like the one time that I felt like the crowd kind of got into this match was the was the section was the section where they, they just started just going wild with each other. But I really like this. Uh, if we combine, if we average our scores, we actually get the four stars. I went four and a quarter on it. I love the finishing stretch between Bandito and Flamita. And it is frustrating with having the other four people in this match where I feel like they should be doing more with them. But I was, I love the Bandito versus Flamita sections. Yeah, I mean, you've got Doi in there. And I, I definitely think Doi should have had a bigger spot on the card. But then you think you know, what would it be? You know, thank goodness they didn't shoehorn more teams into the Twin Gate match. I guess you could have done, you know, a 12-man four-way Triangle Gate match, but then that's, you know, that's not that fun, you mm -hmm. know? So it's like, this is this is by default, and, and maybe that's a good thing. I mean, you know, people talk about it during WrestleMania season, you know, not everybody should be on the card. This is just mm -hmm. where the chips fell for Doi, um, and it's a shame because he's had a really good year, but... You know, this is just how life is. And and Doi was good here. Um, Jason Lee is so good. I mean, what a fine for oh, Dragon Gate. It's, it's really a shame that other than 
a few guys, you know, the company's been in, in such a downward spiral because, I mean, Jason Lee just showed up and immediately fit in. And now I, you know, a first time viewer probably thinks this guy came up through the dojo and has been in the system since 2006 or something. I mean, he just works like a total pro and it's awesome to see. Yeah, I was talking to Milo about this last episode. I don't think anyone has taken to the Dragon Gate system and style of match as quickly as Jason Lee has. Like even Ricochet, when he came in, he was so raw and it took him a while to get going. But Jason Lee, because we're talking about he came in last fall. And ever since then, he has, you're absolutely right. You would think that he came up through the dojo. I, I love Jason Lee in this. If if Skywalker is not my most improved wrestler in Dragon Gate 2018, then I think it's Jason Lee. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you've got to think Jason Lee's got to be in line for some sort of title shot. I mean, this is a guy that I it hit his, you know, my my ideal Brave Gate run of Jason Lee looks great. I mean, this is a guy that I think can hold a title and can work on the second half of big shows and deliver. Mm-hmm. That's how good he's gotten in such a short period of time. Yeah, and the matchups he could have could be incredible. I mean, I mean, imagine him like they could easily do him versus Ada for Ada's first defense. I mean, and then if he took the belt off Ada, then you look up and down the car like Jason Lee versus uh, Flamita. Flamita comes in and asks for another title shot. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that that would be a lot of fun. I mean, eventually, I have to feel like that shoot and eventually will get a title shot. Maybe not this year. Maybe in twenty nineteen. I'd be excited to see what kind of match could come out of that. I mean, Kagatora. Like, there's a lot of guys there. Like, Maria. Maria's great in Brave Gate matches. I'd love to see Maria face off against Jason Lee. Like, there's a lot of potential of Jason Lee, and it's really exciting to see. This is where he was at on his first Kobe World Show. Where can he go from here? He's he's a fresh guy, and that's kind of the one of the problems, reoccurring theme, that I've run into with Dragon Gate is just, you've got a Shun Skywalker, and you've got a Jason Lee, and you've got you know, Casey, who's new and fresh, even though he's been in the company, there are a few guys that feel really fresh and like they've kind of got something there. And in Dragon Gate, I feel like it used to be like, oh, well, these guys are going to make it. I mean, it's Dragon Gate. But now you're just seeing Ata and Yoshino and Shingo and Yamato really, really dominate the big picture. And that's not a slight on them because they've earned that spot. But mm-hmm. this show didn't really feel all that different than like Kobe world 2015. I mean, Ada was in a brave gate match. Yamada mm-hmm. was in a twin gate match. Masato Yoshino was in the main event, defending the dream gate. It's just like the same guys are in the same spots. And we used to talk about how dragon gate could move anybody up or down on the card. And it would make sense. And it was seamless. And they've lost that a little bit. It's just everybody's in. I mean, I've seen Shun Skywalker work opening matches where he gets to shine more than anybody for months now. And at some mm. point, you got to do something with that. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes to another like overarching thing is they've they've kind of tipped their toe in the water in the first half this year, especially with KZ. That was my favorite match of the year was KZ versus Mochizuki. Like, and now they're kind of actualizing on it. I don't. I know there's a lot of people think that give the KZ the title now, but that's just not how Dragon Gate works. So that's that's that. But I mean, they tip, they dipped the toe in the water with him. They did it with uh big. They did it with Big Arshimizu. That match is finally on DVD. Who knows if anyone will ever see it? And then they did it with Binke. So like they're doing that, but it's just they're not at the point now where at like 
if you look at the main events, basically from 2013 when Shima, actually, you can probably go back to like 2011, really. If you look at the main events, especially around the Dreamgate picture, it's kind of the same guys. Like you did have like your Susumu like random title win, which was which was a good breath of fresh air. But that's more not just in 2018. That's been a problem with the promotion now, dating back to Blood Warriors and Junction Three. So and it and it makes you think like, are they going to be able to pair these guys so they can go back to a period where they're able to just shoehorn anyone in the main event? Go like, oh yeah, sure. No problem. It makes sense why KZ gets a title shot here, why it's KZ versus uh, Big R Shimizu. And I don't know if they're... If, I think that there will be a time for that, but I don't know if the crowd will accept all these guys in that role. That's the thing. They've got the talent. It's just a matter of flipping that switch and then mm-hmm. the crowd being okay with that switch being flipped. But it's not a lack of talent. It's just very stagnant booking, which is jarring to a Dragon Gate fan because, again, they were praised for so long for not having stagnant booking. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, like, other people in this match. Like, we've talked about Doi Lee. We talked about Bandito Flamita. You have someone like Kagatora and Maria who are people that kind of just are there right now. And it's kind of a weird thing for Maria considering... Like one of my frustrating things about Maria is that they can't really decide what they want to do with her. Like that she still has like her comedy spots, but are they sticking with her in this character for a long term? Like at, they're at a point now where they kind of have to see if if she has a larger role other than being a Brave Gate challenger and a Triangle Gate challenger. And then you have Kakatora, who is as talented as anyone on the roster, but he's never had the opportunity. And it just makes me wonder if this is kind of their position in the company going forward, it's just they're teaming up with their stable. Like they, they are the lowest people in the stable outside of UT. And just that also kind of frustrates me because you used to be able to see people move up and down in their situations, and especially in their units. Like we saw that with KZ, but really for the most part over the last year, people get slotted where they're slotted in their unit and they don't get a chance to advance. And that kind of frustrates me too. Yeah. Well said. Uh, before we move on, do you have any other thoughts on this match? No, it was it was a, a match that I would recommend watching if you haven't seen Kobe World yet, or maybe you skipped it on the first time around. I think up to this point, this and the Triangle Gate match are the two that you should really go out of your way to watch. Absolutely. And if you're someone who is not as familiar with Bandito or Flamita, or really actually Jason Lee, Jason Lee is a guy that no one talks about, definitely check out this match. And when we talk about like needing breaths of fresh air, this next match wasn't that at all, at least with some of the people in this match. It was the uh, special outsiders tag match with Masaki Mochizuki, Tatsumi Fujinami, Hiro Saito, Yoshioka, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Don Fuji, and Punch Tomonaga. The uh, Mochizuki, Fujinami, and Saito side won in 14 minutes and 35 seconds as Fujinami. Uh, submitted Punch Tomonaga with his Dragon Sleeper and Case. Uh, I had a hard time kind of giving a shit about this match as a primarily Dragon Gate watcher when three guys on the team, uh, three guys on these teams had a combined age of about 200, to be <laughs> honest. What, like, like, there's a point for them to do this. They always have outsiders. I know you've had your project where you watched all of the uh, Kobe World, so you've seen all these people that they bring in to sell tickets. But this match kind of just, I couldn't get into it at all. 
to be honest. Uh, what what'd you think about it? So on paper, I hated this match because Mochizuki was messing around with these old guys and Don Fuji, you know, yeah, he probably fits in here, but you'd like to see something a little bit bigger for Fuji. And, and what I don't know if a lot of people know is Tetsumi Fujinami is in my top five favorite wrestlers ever. I think Fujinami is the third greatest wrestler ever. There are two people, I think, Kenta Kobashi and Stan Hansen and maybe Rey Mysterio Jr. that are better wrestlers than Tetsumi Fujinami historically. Um, but I don't care about old man Fujinami. I don't watch his new stuff. Fujiwara was good in 1987, but we're in 2018. So I, I just hated this match on paper. But I had fun watching this. This was a fun match. I mean, there's a spot where Fujinami and Fujiwara are just going at it. And I wasn't really expecting either of them to try as hard as they did. Um, so I came in with the lowest of low expectations. And because of that, it ended up really over over delivering. I mean, it wasn't a great match. And if anybody tells you it was a great match, they are factually incorrect. But it was really, really fun for me. I, I did to say I did enjoy Fujinami and Fujiwara going at it. I like that. Was Fujinami the one that made Fujiwara bleed? I believe so. Yeah, it, it just was one of those things that this was a match where I kind of went, got another cup of tea. And I was like, all right, my excitement level in our preview, I put, I gave it the big goose egg because just not my thing. But there were, there were moments that I really liked, especially coming back and seeing someone made a senior citizen bleed. Why did this happen? <laughs> and uh, seeing all of them just like shit on Punch Tomonago was amazing because that was his role in this match. Punch Tomonago was here basically to have three one middle-aged man and two uh two geriatrics beat the crap out of him and that was fun i do have to say i was disappointed that neither fujinami nor saito would wanted to go take a walk with don fuji on the balcony that was my one big fuji hope on this match and that did not happen that's a very good point i think you need to knock off a quarter star because that didn't happen I, I mean, like when like Fuji's role in a promotion at this point is that he is in this weird kind of unit with uh, Saito and Kness, which I haven't heard anything about that unit in week and since like basically right after Dead or Alive. But that he's supposed to be more of a comedy wrestler. And come on, come on here, Saito, just go up there. There's beer up there. He's gonna go buy you a beer. Just go. Up there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I, this was not my lowest rated match on the show, but it just was there for me. Uh, I do like that Fuji PT and Fujiwara all came out like in sunglasses, looking like that they were trying to be different generation of mob bosses. I thought that was yeah, kind of funny. That was really, really great. That was good stuff. So yeah, did you have any other thoughts about this match, really? No, it was, again, it exceeded my expectations, but it, it, at the end of the day, it was just a match. The, the match that I'm incredibly that I came in with like thinking that this is a match that had a very low, a very low floor if someone worked very poorly, but an incredibly high ceiling if this one person worked incredibly well was the Twin Gate match. And it was uh, Yamato BB Hulk defeating Big Ben in their second defense with, with Yamato pinning Big Arshimizu with a, uh, Final Flash assisted Ragnarok in 28 minutes and 15 seconds. And this was my match of the night case. How about you? Uh, yeah, same boat. This was my match of the night. Um, for as, as many struggles as I've had with Dragon Gate, 
um, and not enjoying some of the booking or some of the talent disappointing me. Big R, Shimizu, and Ben K, both as, as singles wrestlers and now as a team, have consistently delivered for me uh, for for years now. I mean, I've said since 2016, I think Big R Shimizu is one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. Uh, since Ben K has come into wrestling in the middle of 2016, there have not been many wrestlers better than him. On top of that, you have Yamato and BB Hulk, which, you know, I think everybody's a little sick of Yamato. It's almost like he needed to turn heel after he lost his Dreamgate uh, title after that just god-awful reign. It's almost like he he just needed something, but he just got a haircut and just has become the same guy. Um, but Yamato and BB Hulk worked really hard in this match. I don't know the last time that I really enjoyed a BB Hulk match. I mean, he had, um, I guess, Shima and Dragon Kid versus Doi and Hulk. I think they challenged for the Twin Gate titles a few years ago. And that match was really good, but it wasn't because of BB Hulk. I mean, Waron, you know, since his shoulder injury in 2014 was the last time that Hulk really stepped up to the plate before this match. Hulk worked his ass off. Yamato was great. And Big Ben, I mean, those have been the two guys that have kept me coming back to Dragon Gate because they just have not disappointed me. Yeah, I completely co-sign with all your thoughts there, especially about BB Hulk. This was his best match in my mind since the match he destroyed his shoulder against Shingo in, in late 2014, he he bumped his ass off for Big Ben. Like, he was willing to, like, land on his neck. Uh, he, he's not able to do the things he was able to, but he is willing to. He took two really gruesome-looking shot put slams, and I thought that was incredible. Uh, I, I do have a question for you. As someone who, you know, you, you have a pretty good pulse on at least Midwest wrestling. You did a lot of AEW reviews, and you're someone that watches probably a little bit more than I do. Has anyone in their close to like their first two years in wrestling right now, under two years, has shown as much growth and potential as Ben K has? Oh, that is a a tough question. I mean, off the top of my head, I mean. You know, the person that comes to mind, and it's maybe an odd answer, but I mean, Pete Dunn has had such incredible growth from, you know, the summer of 2015 or 16 to now when he's become a world-class wrestler, but there's there's nobody doing and improving uh, in the way that both Shimizu and Ben K are. I mean, they are both just rapidly progressing, and I I don't know if there's anybody in wrestling progressing at that rate. Yeah, the only person I could think of, and it's kind of hard because of the system that he wrestles in, is Audaz and CMLL. And the reason why I say that it's kind of hard for him because it's hard to get over with the CML booking hat to be hot if you're a young guy, <laughs> and and especially when you have to do that kind of style. But yeah, Pete Dunn would, would be up there for me. But gosh, just like seeing like Big Ben matches, like the the match that they had with against T-Hawk and Ada was underwhelming just because T-Hawk tried and Ada didn't care. But those two guys are just incredible. They have such a different style of match than anyone else in Dragon Gate has. They come in and they're and you have to like beat them like decisively because if you don't, they're two young guys who are basically combined about 460 pounds that just will keep on grinding you and grinding you and grinding you until you basically want to take them out back and having to shoot them because you can't stop like 
you can't stop big R Shimizu when he gets going. And Ben K is basically the more muscular Shimizu now. And it, it's one of my favorite match types. And that's like my only misgiving about this about this title reign ending is that we don't get to see this out of Big Ben anymore because this is one of the more this is this was my favorite tag team reign since uh since Yamadoi. And they only had three matches. Well, this is this is something that I I'm, I'm glad you brought up Yamadoi because I wanted to circle back to this, but Big R Shimizu is is to me a star waiting to happen. And I don't have any idea what the Japanese fan base thinks of him, but this is another big match that Yamato and Big R Shimizu have had. Um, Big R and T Hawk ended the Yamadoi reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, Yamato defeated Big R Shimizu to win the King of Gate tournament. In 2017, Big R got his win back against Yamato. Those are their only two singles matches. But there's going to be a point in time where Big R has to become a Dreamgate contender, preferably has to become a Dreamgate champion. And he's got a built-in story with Yamato now. He's got a built-in story with Shingo because the Big R character was formed because Shingo lariated his head off in October of 2014. There's money to be made, at least in my opinion. And again, this is a Western perspective. I don't know what the Japanese fan base thinks of him. But you've got to do something with Big R at some point. He, to me, is just, he's the guy. There, nobody in Dragon Gate has ever worked like him. The shot put slam is a move that is is still feared, and we're talking guys have kicked out, and it's three years after the fact that, you know, since he debuted it, and it's still this, oh my gosh, Yamato kicked out of the shot put slam, which he did in this match. Mm-hmm. There's something to Big R that eventually they've got to pull the trigger on. Um, it's a shame that this Big Ben reign ended so soon. Uh, partially because I think the assisted spear that they do is the best move in wrestling. There's a lot of cool stuff going on right now, but nothing is cooler than Ben Case spearing guys out of midair. Um, and I'm afraid with the booking that might come in the future, we're not going to see Big Ben teaming for that much longer because it looks like Doi and Big R have had their problems. But this was my match of the night. Um, I gave it four and a half stars. I don't know if I could put it in the upper pantheon of Kobe world twin gate matches, um, you've got the 2011 match with Shimon Ricochet versus Dragon Kid and Pac, which I think is a five-star match. I think it's one of the best matches in Dragon Gate history. You've got the 2014 match between Tiok and Ada versus Akira Tozawa and Shingo. I think that match is four and three quarters. That match rules. You've got the match last year between Shima and Dragon Kid versus Speed Muscle this is a step below that, but I still think if you're listening to this, you've got to go out of your way to watch this match. Absolutely. And before we get into the post-match stuff, because I feel like we really do need to get into that, just going off of Binke's spear, it is my favorite move in wrestling right now because he does it so differently from everyone else. It's not just the uh, rhino just run right into him. He does this collision. I don't know if you've noticed this. He does a collision where he kind of spins around and slams them while doing it, which I absolutely love. And I love when they, when they combine that with the shot putt slam. And, oh, the big, big, big case spear is my favorite move in wrestling. Like, I could watch – I have watched GIFs of him doing the spear for, like, five minutes on end just because I, I notice little different things about, like, he pops his hips and swivels around. It, it's tremendous. But uh, – Yeah, I, the, the, it's, it's – again, there's, there's, there's nothing else like it. In wrestling, let alone Dragon Gate, which is a an aerial-based offensive style. And then you've got the next coming of Goldberg basically sparing these guys out of their shoes. I mean, I it is really exciting for me to watch. 
one thing that was all my, my favorite spot in the entire match was when was when uh, was when BB Hulk tried to go for the final flash on Shimizu. Shimizu caught him, caught his leg, and used it, made it into a leg trap shot putt slam and bb hulk landed i think it, it was someone on his shoulders but it looked like he took it all on his neck and that was the mo- that was my move spot of the night it was incredible like that was one of the most devastating things i've seen in a dragon gate ring yeah it was it was essentially a shot put slam combined with a power bomb i mean it was it was gross looking and the way bb hulk landed but it was really cool at the same time it was insane it was insane and the, the finishing stretch where they had to basically take big they, they decided the way to be beat big ben is to take one of them out of the cage out of the uh, one out of the equation pardon me and they completely isolated big Arshimizu. they kept on whenever whenever ben k came in the ring they always tried to kick him throw him out give him go to hospital get him on the outside and the, and the way that they pretty much had to like murder big Arshimizu to win especially with that with that Ragnarok and on I on I heard TGJ didn't mention it. It was a final flash into the Ragnarok, and I thought that was incredible. I thought it was a great finishing segment. Yeah, it, again, I mean, I th- this is the match you need to go out of your way to watch. I, everything uh, Mike said, I totally agree with. And the only big storyline thing that came out of this show was the what happened in the post match, which. Uh, Currently in Dragon Gate, there's been Discord because Big R Shimizu is kind of an idiot. That's kind of been his main character trait throughout his history is that Big R Shimizu is kind of a lunkhead. And him and Doi have been kind of errant. They've either been giving to like errant strikes, errant Bakatari kicks. They've just, they've not been on the same page. And Shimizu, of course, never backs down until Ben K tells him, make nice and don't be a dumbass. And after the match, uh, Shimizu completely bowing down on his knees prostrating himself to to Nuruki Doi asking for his forgiveness and Nuruki Doi said okay I forgive you and they decided that the two of them are going to tag together in the first twin gate match and the only match that's on the uh, August Corkin on the 7th has been signed and it's it's Yamato and Hulk making their defense against Doi and Shimizu and Case what do you think about what's going on here between Doi Shimizu and how it kind of might change things for Shimizu going forward. Well, and at the the risk of sounding like a hypocrite, because we've talked about how we need unit shakeups and roster movement, I don't want that to come from Maximum, which to me has been the only thing that has consistently worked in the past 18 months. But I'm afraid that's what we're going to get because, you know, Doi doesn't take nonsense too well and Shimizu is full of nonsense. Um, so I really don't want to see maximum splinter when you can look at any other unit besides natural vibes and go, they could go and I wouldn't miss them the next day. Um, but on paper, Yamato and Hulk versus Doi and Shimizu, I mean, Doi's, I don't have a problem saying Doi's one of the best tag team wrestlers of all time. Shimizu is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. And Yamato and Hulk just prove that they can have a good match. So I, I can't not be excited for that match, but I'm fearful for what might that for what uh what might be after that match yeah uh it's a odd situation at least in my head because shimizu has never been a heel and i think if something's going to happen it's shimizu should get a heel run and in theory that might help out antios but uh i completely agree with you maximum has been 
throughout 2017 and even dating back into late 2016 with all the buildup for them. They've been one of the uh, stronger points of the company. And the, it, it's been rare for me, super fake unit, a unit that I really like. Like I was never, I always respected the Jimmies and liked the Jimmies, but I was never a Jimmy's guy. Monster Express was a pretty much was a wounded dog ever since uh, Ricochet left. And Maximum just works. And all five of them kind of fit in a way. And losing Shimizu to me loses a lot of Maximum. And I do completely agree with you. The rest of the roster, with the exception of Natural Vibes, should shake up completely. But I kind of want Maximum to be safe from the shakeups. And I'm, I'm really afraid that it's not going to happen with Shimizu and Doi. But how would you think of a Shimizu heel run? I'd be into the, I'd be into it with the exception of I don't want Shimizu and Yoshida as a tag team. I think that would be the most boring option possible to put the two big guys together. And I'm just, I'm afraid that with Dragon Gate booking, that's where they're going is Yoshida is big, but he can take pinfalls and Shimizu is dominant and, you know, he's beefy, so he's big and they can run rough shot through Summer Adventure Tag League and into Gate of Destiny and Dangerous Gate. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want Shimizu basically wearing the red and yellow. Give me a, a fresh heel unit and give me Shimizu as the uh, the if not the leader, then the number two of that unit. And I'm I'm all in on that. Yeah, make him like the heater. You know, like that should be his role. Ideally, is that he's the heater in the unit. Like I'm okay with him being in a unit with Shingo. I think that'd be interesting. I think the more compelling tag team out of all of this might actually be him and Shingo Takagi. Like, if they want to have them as a summer adventure tag team, I think that'd be really interesting. But, yeah, like, it, it's such old hat for them to kind of do, like, oh, these two people look enough alike, let's have them team, that I'm kind of fearful of that. But it's going to be interesting. That's kind of the only storyline thing they have going into August. Uh, there's not really been any inclination, either publicly or really through back channels, that they're going to be doing a uh, unit on the show. But uh, any other thoughts of the Twin Gate match before we move on to the main event? No, just go out of your way to watch it. I had it at four and a half as well. I completely agree with Case. It's probably a second tier all-time best tag team match in Kobe world history. But it is even saying that it's the my match of the night and worth going out of your way to see. And... The main event of the show was for the Dream Gate. It was Masato Yoshino versus Shingo Takagi. Yoshino wins in 27 minutes and 4 seconds with the sole Nasiente Kai making his first defense. And before we get into the match itself, uh, what do you think of all the buildup and mainly the uh, Shingo side buildup leading into this match? I had to say at the very least I was intrigued. I mean, I love Shingo, even though I'm, I'm kind of ready for him to, to move away from the main event picture for a little bit, but there, there was the fate of Dragon Gate hanging in the balance a little bit. I mean, if Yoshino wins, you know, it's Dragon Gate. It's Masato Yoshino's the head guy, and, you know, people are going to filter in beneath that. If Shingo wins, and you've got Masato Tanaka on the undercard, and Shingo's been working in all Japan, and he has friends in big Japan, I was intrigued as to what, gonna what, what was going to happen. I mean, the result of this match mattered a lot to me uh, just because I was curious to see which direction it would go. Um, but as I'm sure we'll talk about, there's something about Masato Yoshino and Shingo that 
I don't know. They're they're not made for each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I. This was one of the matches that taught that I kind of talked myself up into, especially because uh, Takagi's dominated the uh, Dreamgate scene ever since his heel turn, and really, it it is there is a time for him to kind of step back and just be a be like Triangle Gate champion, be like a Twin Gate champion, and that's kind of what. It seemed like this year was going to head to, but of course the split happened and that didn't happen. And Yoshino is just kind of, again, he's Mr. Dragon Gate. Like at this point, he is Mr. Dragon Gate since Shima left. And he's now office. And they made that into an interesting part of the storyline where Takagi was saying, hey, if I was left out of this whole entire equation. If I win, I declare myself president and all the old guys who can't wrestle are gone. All the young guys who aren't moving up get shipped overseas with no help. Uh, more Tokyo shows, and we're going to try to move away from the kind of idol style wrestling. And it, I feel like that made that interesting, and it made it more compelling going to this match. But as you said, there's something about Yoshino and Takagi matches that don't deliver, to say, to, to put it kind of in blunt terms. Um, oh, we, we kind of talked about this before going on air. They've had... Uh, four or five matches, singles so, matches. Yeah, oh, yeah. Go so ahead, they, take it. So they've had five singles matches. Um, one of them, I don't believe anybody besides the people in the building have ever seen, and that was on New Year's Eve 2005 in a King of Gate match. Shingo beat Yoshino, and then they've had four since. They had one on a Dragon Gate USA show in 2010. This was the first show of that WrestleMania weekend in Phoenix. So this was the show with Jack Evans and the Young Bucks on it. It's one of the weaker DJ USA shows. I actually think the best match on that show is Yamato versus TJP. Um, that was in 2010. They had another match in 2015 at Dangerous Gate, which is what kicked off this Shingo Takagi heel run. Um, that match I gave three and three quarters. They had a match at King of Gate this year in Corken Hall. That match I gave three and three quarters. And then they had this match at Kobe World and this match I gave three and three quarters. And this was the... If I'm right, and I'm not certain about the DGUSA match, this is the first match that Yoshino has won head-to-head against Takagi. Am I right? Yoshino won the DGUSA match, but okay. you know, it's, it's DGUSA that's DGUSA that's kind of canon, that's kind of not. In 2010, probably more so than in 2013. But in Japan, this is the first singles match Yoshino has won. Yeah, and I gave it a gentleman's four. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm someone now in my grading that if a match was very good and I usually give it a little bit of benefit of doubt and give it a four, give it kind of like the gentleman's, the gentleman's scene in, in college. I give it the gentleman's, the gentleman's four just because it was very good, but I don't know if they have, if they have chemistry issues or it's just that they have two distinctly diff, different wrestling types and they just don't mesh well. They've had great matches when they've been in tag teams against each other, but it's just, Singles, it always leaves me wanting more, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I went back and I rewatched this match. I, I watched it. It was the uh, the first match on the show that I watched because I, I cared about this result more than any other. So I watched this match unspoiled, and I went, hmm, that that seemed odd. Something, it wasn't bad, but I feel like I'm like I missed something. And then I wrote the review and then I, I sat on it for a little bit. And I, I, I thought about this match for a large portion of today. And then I got home from work and I watched it again. And I was like, I don't, I don't really miss anything. I mean, there's a spot where 
Shingo escapes the Sol Naciente, and then they kind of do fighting spirit. I mean, Shingo elbows him, and Yoshino pops up, and then Yoshino and Takagi trade moves, and then Yoshino submits him. And it's like they did their big fighting spirit spot, and they built up to it. It's something about it just still felt so flat. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. And even the crowd itself like didn't help getting into it. Like the first time that that Shingo hit one of his big moves, and there was supposed to be like the first big kickout that kind of signifies that okay, we're going to the final stretch. They didn't really react to it, and they didn't really react to the Made in Japan they kicked out of. And then he locks into Silnasi and Tikai, and that was it. You know that that was it. There were some moments about it that were very good. I really kind of liked on there was a lot of ramp spots during the show but there was a part where Yoshino tried to lock in the from jungle out on the ramp but then uh, Shingo kind of sloppily moved it away into moved it around it looked like it was gonna be a power bomb then turned to a DVD and I thought that was kind of fun but it just seemed like it the start of the match was kind of underwhelming it heated up a little bit with the table spot and then it just kind of just motored to the finish and it didn't it, no one really reacted to it until the final bell, I guess is the way I'd put it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? No, it's just, it's a weird match to review. I mean, it went almost a half hour and it, it this is going to sound dumb, but it, it felt like a half hour match, but it also didn't. I mean, there was just something just thin about this match. It just wasn't a Kobe world main event. And there have been worse Kobe world main events. I mean, Shima's had a few that I really haven't enjoyed and again, this was a pretty good match, but it wasn't anything that I'll, I've watched it twice. I'm not going to watch it again. Um, and it it was just odd. It was just an odd match in an odd company at an odd point in their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm thinking back at the most recent Kobe Worlds and the yeah, I liked Yamato versus T-Hawk a lot more. I liked the uh, 2016 May event a whole lot more. And uh this one just kind of happened. Like it like it was the main event. It was I think you probably put it best. It was an odd main event on an odd show on an odd company at an odd time. And I didn't think we'd probably only spend like 6 minutes on the Kobe World main event, but I'm looking at my notes now and there's just really not a lot to talk about. Yeah, it, it, again, I mean my my review for this was was lengthy, but it's everything I've just said. It was kind of a perfect encapsulation of where Dragon Gate's at, where you go, now that was good, but, you know, what what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, and and I, I did choose in this match, I mean, I had the narrative in my head, you know, Yoshino worked the arm of Shingo for almost the entire match. I mean, Yoshino's art, uh, offense was based around injuring Shingo's arm. And I did like the fact that Shingo kind of beat himself in this match. Mm-hmm. Like, Yoshino would work his arm, but then Shingo would come back and he'd hit him with a shoulder block as hard as he can. It would hurt Yoshino, but it seemed to hurt Shingo just as much. And so he escaped one Sol Naciente, but it was by momentum. I mean, he rolled Yoshino over and then was able to deliver forearms again, but it was hurting Shingo as he was doing them. And then he was, you know, he submitted to the Sol Naciente. So it was good storytelling from that aspect. I mean, it it felt true to their characters, and it it was it made for a compelling match. But it was, you know, the third best match on a on an or you know maybe the fourth best match on what was a slightly above average show. Yeah, yeah, and it 
the one last thing that I just thought of. Uh, do you remember a Shingo Dreamgate match in recent memory where he hit, where he was less on offense? Because this one, like, there was no, like, there's no stage dreams. There was no avalanche like DVDs. There was there was no like last falconry or original falconry. It just kind of was. It was a match where weirdly enough, even though there was all the outside brawling and Yoshino went through a table, but it did. It felt like that this was like instead of being like a 50-50 match, this felt like it was 60-40 Yoshino or 70-30. Was that just me? No, that's completely it. Uh, probably 60-40. And for me, like. It's weird because the uh, King of Gate match was a lot more of a Shingo-style match. And both of them kind of... I think I almost had the exact same rating. I'm looking at my notebook for this right now. All right. Uh, no, actually, I hated the uh, the uh, Kobe, the uh, King of Gate match more. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was there. It was there. And it's been a weird year. And it's going to continue being weird. I don't know uh, when we're going to kind of see, like, the... Uh, the, the light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, and looking ahead, they just announced the uh, Dragon Gate Network live schedule. So if you're someone who subscribes to the network, they have actually six shows on the network live this next month, including a rare Kyoto KBS Hall show on the 4th, Tokyo Korean Hall on the 7th, uh, Osaka 2 on the 11th. So that's one, that's three relatively big shows. And, uh, in a week and then Hakata on the 19th. And then what I think is really interesting, they have the, uh, they have a show in Nara. They're having a Naruki Doi's homecoming show live on the network. Did you see that case? I did see that. I, other than, uh, other than the uh, Takagi Yamanashi shows, they don't air homecoming shows. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, which uh, it used to be that was the only show that uh, that Doi would get cheered or sign autographs. So I'm kind of sad we don't get to have like a 2014 uh, uh, Nara show on the network. And then the last show of the month is Kobe Sambo Hall. I and then they're getting to the thick of the rest of the year. They have a they have a Dangerous Gate. They have a, they they have their first show in Sendai. They have Gate Destiny, and then they have uh, Final Gate. So they have four big shows for the remainder of the year. And I think really to wrap it up, uh, we kind of talked a little about this, but in pre-production, uh, I think that this is kind of a good time now to kind of talk about where Dragon Gate is in 2018 and what do you think they need to do to go forward? So, okay. So uh, overall, what's your opinion of the company? You talked about it a little bit earlier, but if you could sum it up into a few words, how do you feel like Dragon Gate's headed? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm down on the company, and and for a while it made me down on wrestling as a whole because, you know, over the past five years I've watched too much wrestling. I mean, I've watched so much of it, and at times there were shows where I'm like, well, I don't really want to watch this, but people are saying it's good. I might as well give it a look. But Dragon Gate has always been the one company that I've been able to turn to, and I mean, I've watched. Almost every Dragon Gate match that's made tape since 2014, I mean, 95% of them that have aired, I have watched, you know, undercard through main event, which I don't do for any other company. I mean, with a lot of promotions, I'm watching either the second half of the card or maybe even just the last two matches. I mean, I, I want to see my good wrestling and I want to get out. Uh, but Dragon Gate has been a much bigger investment and 
they're just at a point where there's a lot changing and I know I've got to stick it out, but if the, if the ride slows down and they're in the same spot, then it's going to really break my heart because there's talent there and there's so much potential. But for the first time since I've become a Dragon Gate fan, I doubted the creative minds behind it. I've doubted whether or not some guys can hang in the ring. So I'm hopeful, but I'm prepared to be let down. Yeah, and they've had periods. They've had downtimes again, and usually the downtimes have happened because there's been some sort of out-of-ring issue. If it was the uh, the, the core scandal, if it was Aganisu, if it was just generally just like stuff happening, it usually was linked to that. But I don't think that there's been a time period where something has hit Dragon Gate as devastatingly as Shima leaving. And that's like... Uh, I kind of felt like I slept well through this card because you always expect to see Shima around and it's a huge hole. And I looking at attendance and looking at how things are going and how it seems like native fans feel really betrayed right now. And I don't know how they, one, it seems like that keto is trying to get back their trust, which is the right move. But I don't know like how you build upon that to get back to where they were in 2015 and 16. It's it's difficult, but it's interesting to me in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, any other promotion, I I probably would have given up on by now, at least watching them as religiously as as I have. And again, it's been tough. I mean, I I am not joking when I say that seeing Ryo Saito versus Shingo Takagi on, I believe, it was a Cork and Hall card, made me want to stop reviewing the product. Um, it's just, it's an odd time. I mean, I've watched the company since, you know, religiously since 2014 uh, when Monster Express was forming and Ricochet and Uha Nation was there. I guess that would have been 2013, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, late 2013. Yeah, late 2013. Um, and I've, I've never, I you know, immediately it clicked. And, and even if 2014 was kind of an odd year for the promotion, like 2015 and 2016, I think are historically great years for any wrestling company. And the talk with Dragon Gate was the young guys are there. The old guys don't age. There are solid veteran hands to fill out the card. And, you know, Yoshino gets hurt and then Yamamura shines, but then Yamamura gets hurt. And then, you know, who would have thought that Shima leaves the company and plucks three guys? I mean, that is... There's no wrestling comparison for that in its history, I don't think. I mean, Shima was Dragon Gate, and he's gone, and he's taking prospects with him. It's yeah. just it's just so... It, the company is unrecognizable in a way, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just like... It has changed so much so quickly. Yeah, and I wrote a bit about this on Voices of Wrestling. I did my big... Uh, kind of I do kind of a big yearly column of where the promotion's looking at it last year about T Hawk, but it was hard to write this year. I started hearing things in about March around Mania time and then more and more things kind of became clear. And just when the biggest story in Dragon Gate happens away from the ring, it's never a good thing. And yeah, that's a very good way of saying that. And and we've seen that time and time again now. And the way that it's gone with that they lost, it, it's not just that they lost Shima, it's how they lost Shima. Like, that, that's the thing that kind of 
got me when I was writing and talking to people and researching was it seemed like it was a situation of him butting heads with people and people butting heads with him that it could have been rectified, if that makes sense. It just it didn't seem like that the rift that developed in, who knows, it could be a place that cooler heads prevail and they're all back in the company in 2019. I personally don't expect it, but it could happen. But that's the thing that gets me is like after reading and talking to people and writing this thing is this was like the one like Dragon Gate backstage thing that could have been solved. And now you have a company without who they wanted to be in the ace and T Hawk, their most talented, their most charismatic young guy, probably since to since either Tozawa or KZ and L Lindemann. And then the guy that was becoming the next ace in Yamamura. It's just, I don't think we've seen like, other than like in history of like people like jumping territories, I don't think we've seen that much talent leaving. And that's not even talking about the importance of Shima and the company. And that happened. And it'll be interesting to see how they go from here. I think that Keto as president, he's been, it's not like they just had a random guy come in here. He's been with uh, the company since Torimon days, actually. So he knows wrestling. I think that there's some things that he's doing that's pretty smart. The, the big thing that I heard was that he's already preparing people to kind of have successors. Like that was the one of the big things about the Takagi storyline leading up to it was he wasn't named on the board of directors, whereas Yoshino was, and it wasn't really talked about a lot, but Super Shisha was named to it. And and Anthony W. Morey, who's been who's stayed with the company after he retired, was named to it. So it seems like there's more of a contingency plan in the future. But I'm just wondering what that contingency plan is going to have after, you know, I heard Keto might be around for five years and then he wants to hand off the company. Like, who knows what Dragon Gate is going to be in 2023. And there's a lot of people I think need to step up now, Case. And we talked a lot about one of them. I think Ada has to step up. I think they have to treat Benkei right. And they have to see what kind of guy Big R Shimizu can be because he seems like that he could be the most malleable one out of the three. Yeah, I mean, I guess this this will be my final thought, but Shima is gone. There is an opening at the top of the card now because Shima's gone and Yoshino is going to fill that role the best if he can. But somebody's got to step up and fill Yoshino's role as a go-to guy. If Ada doesn't do it now, Ada's never going to. I think Ben K has the potential to, and I hope he does. I think Big R Shimizu could be there if Dragon Gate let him. Somebody has got to step up. This is your time. And I, you know, it, it's it's almost silly getting fired up about this as as if anybody within the company would hear it, but somebody's <laughs> got to step up. I mean, you've you've got a a once-in-a-lifetime shot of a shimaless dragon gate. Put your working boots on and go get it. I mean, I just I don't know. I'm so curious to see what happens within this company. Yeah, it's intriguing. It's it's very sad for someone like us who's been following the company. Me since 2006, you much more recently, but a lot more thoroughly, honestly, than I have in recent years. But it's it's intriguing, but it's kind of depressing. And I guess the other guy that I think kind of adds to the equation that we'd be remiss not, not saying is KZ. I mean, we we've seen what KZ can do and what he can. So I mean, it's gonna it's gonna go towards those four guys because uh, I I forgot whose person says this, but Shima's not coming back through that locker room. You know, I. Uh, BB Hulk's 38. Uh, 
Yamato's a little younger, but most of these guys, the big six are now in their mid-30s, so who knows how much longer they really have. So these guys got to step up. And it'll be interesting to see the remainder of the year how this kind of shakes out. But I think that about does us here for us here tonight. Case, is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap this up? Uh, no, you can give me a follow on Twitter at underscoring your case, uh, talking Dragon Gate, New Japan, and uh, talking about a bunch of bands that nobody cares about. Um, and thank you for having me on, Mike. This was therapeutic in a way. Um, this is maybe my favorite podcast I've done. I think this episode went super, and I hope the listeners think so as well. Uh, so yeah. thank you for listening. Yeah, Case, thanks for coming back and hope to have you on again in the future. Hopefully it will not be just us basically ranting for two hours, but we'll see. It was great having you. And that'll do it for us this time on Open the Voice Gate. Again, follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You could uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I don't know if we have SoundCloud. Why I say SoundCloud? But uh, on on whatever uh, podcast podcatching uh software you can use you can find us there along with the rest of the voices of wrestling network and that'll do it from here thanks y'all for listening here it comes again lunch will it be the same old same old or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new jamaican jerk turkey sub at firehouse subs freshly sliced smoked turkey breast craveably sweet mustard sauce and a hint of caribbean seasoning just 555 for a medium Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.